This podcast is sponsored by Cleaners East Group. Through innovation and engagement of people, businesses and governments, they aim to eradicate microplastic pollution from all angles. The goal is to spread awareness so that people can make informed choices and be part of the solution. For more information, please visit cleanerseasgroup.com. I'm pleased to be joined by James Golding as we discuss his inspiring menus, which are driven by provenance and seasonality. A renowned chef, James is also the group chef director at the Pick Hotels and fellow of the Royal Academy of Culinary Arts Sustainability Committee, where he works to raise awareness about where his food comes from, how it is raised and how it tastes while respecting the environment. Hi James, thank you for joining me on the Naughty Bites podcast. How are you today? I'm really good. Great to be here. Thanks for having thank me you. on. Thank you so much. So, as you know, my podcast is called the Naughty Bites. What's your naughty pleasure? Oh, you know what? I think I think as chefs we have so many that uh, and, and we probably only admit to half of them. So <laughs> I mean, I mean, mine is actually I, I really love a great Chinese takeaway, and and um, it's it's one of those things that in my house. If, if we're sort of all feeling a little bit ill or we just, you know, the weather's horrible outside or we just want to sort of chill out, we get straight on to uh, uh, the Chinese. And it's funny, we always seem to order the exact same thing, no matter how many times we do it. So, yeah, it's it's a Chinese takeaway is my uh, naughty sort of go-to, I think. And what is your go-to dish when you do order your takeaway? Well, you know what, <laughs> I've, I've, I've got to a, know. Actually, I, I, say, I say this, I say that I always order the same thing, but I think I actually have a range of, same things that I always order. So I always have Peking spare ribs. Oh, nice. I always have uh, chicken fried rice. I always have um, uh, chicken and sweet corn soup. But oh, I have wow. to have loads of extra um, prawn crackers to dip in it. And I and I absolutely love uh, crispy shredded beef. Oh, that's yeah, nice. And, and there's two reasons for that. One is because I'm the only one that likes it. None of the other people in my house. Oh, that's so good. You have to share. Myself. Yeah. <laughs> Although for some reason my daughter really likes the sauce on the peaking ribs, so I tend to lose half of that. But um, yeah, she doesn't actually like the ribs, but it's fine. You know, that's I can oh, live with that. That's so funny. You've reminded me of something. <laughs> Whenever we go to the north to see the grandmother, we yeah. all find little pastries, and they're all gluten free. So right. we go buy these pastries, and she likes the ones that nobody likes: pastry with lots of almonds and cream. Yeah, Not yeah. Nice. <laughs> and we'd have chocolate and jam, so we keep our pastries on our side. But right. what she started doing was, she starts to have hours, and then we're like moving the tray away from her. We're like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> yeah. And she starts taking hours, so we want to get yeah. half of our dessert. And then knowing that right. she still has all of her horrible ones that she enjoys, and nobody wants to touch. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, that's that's something I need to learn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's called strategic ordering. Uh, oh, I strategic, like that. God, I can't say that very well. Strategic ordering, yes. We will learn that, definitely. <laughs> yeah. So I want to talk to you about your restaurant and your food. Yeah. Okay, so um, you're like a massive advocate for sustainability. Um, but what, what I noticed was in research that the younger generations like they take photographs of their recipes of their food you know the, the food that they eat in your restaurant but many of them food choice is only one of their values 
But among that is also diet preferences, um, overall wellness, sustainability, and animal welfare. Yeah. What makes you take inspiration from the region and its unique produce from both forest and sea? So, so when so we we've now got eight restaurants with rooms that span from Cornwall to 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 Kent. So, um, you know, and it's obviously called the Pig Hotels. And for us, the original um concept came from. Um, the first house that we we took on, which is where I am today. We're in Brockenhurst in the New Forest. Um, it's it's a little bit wet and soggy outside, but it's quite a nice place to be. And um, the original house um, came with this incredible wall kitchen garden. So the original idea was to try and run the house in a similar way to how it used to run back in the day. Now, the Queen Mother's family used to own this house, and they mm-hmm. say it's where the Queen Mother's cousin, Sir Conan Doyle, actually wrote Sherlock Holmes. Mm-hmm. Although... There's quite a few places that also say that. So we're 50-50 on that, but it's quite a nice little story. But obviously it came with this wall garden. It came with um, uh, a few acres of land. So, you know, they would have had a wall kitchen gardener. They would have had a forager. They would have used local produce that was delivered to the house. They would have had animals on the property. They would have used the the, the most out of the area that they lived in and, and really valued and supported the community. So that was the original plan. The original plan was to try and bring that whole ethos back to life. Now, when we started doing this, I mean, it's probably what, I think it's 13, 14 years ago we started doing okay. this. And, and it was it was a new sort of idea. I mean, there was only a few people in the country that were actually using these wall kitchen gardens because most houses of this size would have had a wall kitchen garden. It was a way of mm. life for, for that house to exist. So, you know, places like the Manoir, you know, Raymond Blanc had his garden, which we obviously knew about. And, there was a few other little places which were utilizing um, produce, but there was also a lot of places at that time that were saying that they were using local produce and not actually using local produce. Yeah, yeah it's a bit of a buzzword. You know, people were saying, "Yeah, you know, this is local." Okay, well, where's it from? Uh, Dorset. Well, Dorset's a massive place. Yeah. You know, local is local. That was the question. So, um, so what we wanted to do was basically do that. So. We, we started up, we, we opened the first um, uh, uh, hotel and it went crazy. We won the BA High Life Award alongside Heston and we won uh, most sustain- the first ever most sustainable restaurant award in the UK. Um, uh, we, we won that actually two years in a row with the SRA. That's um, amazing. Yeah, we got put in the first, we put in the top 100 restaurants in the country for five years in a row. And, and we could tell that people really were interested in what we were doing. And we sort of, we, we didn't set out to be sustainable. We sort of slotted into the sustainability bracket. So then obviously we, we moved that forward. And the one thing we wanted to do was make sure that we were completely transparent on what we were doing. So uh, on the back of the menu, I don't know if we've got one. Yeah, here we go. So on the back of the menu, um, we obviously have our menu with all of our dishes on it. But on the back, we have, um, an illustration on all of our producers, where they're from, oh, wow. from within this 25 mile radius. And then at the top, we also talk about our smokehouse, our kitchen garden, um, where we source our beef from, which farms we source them from, um, our garden polytunnels, our fruit cages, all about our animals, down to where we our water comes from, our sustainability, zero um, uh, carbon footprint on that, and the, our mushroom house. So what we want to do within, you know, just them sitting down is for people to understand our true commitment to what we do. And and that's sort of it. Yeah. Well, that's amazing because, you know, millennials yep. are chasing this now. Like you said, and, it's, it, and I've come across this from, uh, like, from quite a few of my podcasts, that sustainability is a buzzword now. People yep. say, but don't actually understand 
the concept of it and how you know how broad a subject it is and the fact that you as well as other chefs are really holding true to it is fantastic and people are following this sort of lifestyle change you know and i think yep. it's amazing that you're illustrating that on their menu because many people are like what is actual sustainability how are you sustainable and i think illustrating it with simple language just really helps them yeah and and i think that 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 was our sort of stance in the early days because for, for me you know i mean i grew up in this area i i lived and worked in london for 13 years i, I was head chef at Soho house in new york i was in new york for quite a long time when i came back to this area you know i i had a very um well, you, you know you grow up in an area you have that sort of love you know for that area you'll always say you're from that area even though yeah. maybe you've lived away longer than you've lived in, you know that time and and, um, and i had that sort of passion for this area the new forest the the south coast you know dorset and hampshire was was the place where i you know if you said where are you from i said from christchurch and so when i came back i had this kind of responsibility that i felt that i needed to kind of show the incredible producers and produce that are from this area because it, it really is one well, I mean now nowadays there's actually all over the country I mean you know as we all know artisan produce has gone insane but you know rewind 14 years mm. you had to really search these guys out you know there wasn't yeah. really a place where you could just go and find I mean yeah there was a few farm shops but nothing that was you know on on the scale that is now so it, it became a labor of love and and actually moving on from that you know this now kind of this whole philosophy Kind of just automatically slides into place we're now focusing on things like eradicating cling film you know oh, wow. using no blue roll you know how, how do we use the best eco-friendly chemicals that we can because you know obviously it's a it's a commercial kitchen you know we have to clean mm. you know, th there's there's so many different things now that we can focus on because because we have this reputation of of uh, local producers instead of having to go out and actually search these guys out and they're now coming to us which is absolutely brilliant it's a fantastic way that's incredible yeah that's yeah. really incredible so like when you've taken on this responsibility to promote and protect heritage like food traditional yeah. foods yeah. um what typical foods from the uk are your favorite and do you hold true to the to the traditional way of making them so that's that's quite an interesting question. So so I, I grew up in a household where um, uh, half my family was Italian, half my family was British. So so for me, I I I, I used to, and, and that's the thing is, I know, I know, I know, I know, yeah, So it's it's one of those kind of things that um, yeah, I I grew up um on my mum's side going to because it's always your grandparents. It's your grandparents' food because yeah. your parents' food you eat day in day out. You say yeah yeah. It's <laughs> You know, there's so special times for me that I used to go see my grandparents. So with my nonna, I go there, you know, I'd have the best pasta, best risottos. You know, she'd do some really classic, like, you know, ossa buca, or she'd do really sort of like um, traditional Italian dishes. And then my nan, who obviously on my dad's side, she she's like post-war era, you know, lots of like pork pies and fish and chips. And, um, you know, we'd have like, uh, she actually used to do macaroni cheese. Which was nothing like my nonna used to do, but was I thought, and I probably shouldn't say this, was probably you know better <laughs> because because it's different. She used to finish it under the the salamander and get that really oh. lovely crispy cheesy top with slices of tomato. You know where it's like if you ate it too early, you take the skin on the roof of your mouth. Off, <laughs> yes. You know, you have to be really careful. But um, it was you know I I think that for me you know I I have this kind. I mean my style we call it modern British. 
So modern British is basically, you know, an amalgamation of, of really classic British dishes mixed in with European influence. So, for example, we may have, you know, a, a, a mushroom risotto on the menu, but it's with sets that are foraged locally or wild mushrooms or mushrooms that we've grown from a mushroom house. Or we may have something like a skate wing with a bernoisette, which is a nod towards the classic French dish. But then we make our own pork pies and we make our own crackling. We make all of these sort of really classic and traditional British dishes as well. So in answer to your question, I really love a fantastic, at this time of year, bear in mind it's raining. Okay. okay. So it's just starting to get cold here in the New Forest. I love a game pie with oh. really crispy uh, mashed potato top and some buttered Cavolo Nero kale on the side. Okay, you've just won me over my pie. Yeah. Um, I love pie, like yeah. any form of pie, I'm there. Oh, yeah. that sounds really, really good. But for, for this time of year, it's got to be, and also game is a big thing, you know, for me, it's the ultimate free range products. You know, mm -hmm. game is something that's lived its life in a woodland or in a, you know, in, in the wild and, and it's, it's really good for you. It's high in selenium, <laughs> good for the brain and low in fat and it's it's just for me it's the perfect meat so we focus quite heavily on that as well in the restaurants that leads to me that leads to my next question okay uh, okay so these are like british ingredients okay yeah. uh, and the local team as well um chefs sometimes provide a story about their dish its roots to british history yeah um you raise interest in where food comes from how do you do this? And do you do this through your work as an ambassador, your restaurant or your workshops? Um, I think all of the above, really. Okay. I think that, you know, I, I for, for us, you know, we we want our customers to fully understand the 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 amount of work or the life or the the way that their product on the plate has been produced, mm -hmm. grown or, 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 or raised. And I think that you know, the only way to get that information out there is through um, standing behind the things that you believe in, like being an ambassador. You you have to tell people about what you do. So the workshops and the stuff that I do with the Royal Academy and like, you know, the Chef's Adopter School program, teaching young kids, that, that all for me um, has to give the right knowledge and awareness to people so that they can make the right educated decisions on the food that they're eating. And you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer that you are what you eat. OK, and and if you eat um, products that you understand where, where they've come from, the life that they've had and the reasons why you eat it, then it's a win win. I mean, you know, I, I, I always say to my kids, you know, we go to the shops and, and sometimes, you know, we usually go to butchers. But if we go to a supermarket and they pick something up like, I don't know, like these really cheap like little pork, you know, meatballs or whatever, and I say, you know, think about the life that that pig's probably had. You know, if it's that cheap, mm. it hasn't had a. You know, what did they not, say? Well, I, I think as children, I mean, they're not they're not tiny, tiny. You know, they're they're sort of um, in their teens. But you know, my my kids have grown up as me. They shoot. You know, we 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 kind of you know we we eat what we what what we get, and and it's 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 kind of become for them. It's it's a way of life, and it's how we've always kind of um, works i mean i had venison stew last night that i cooked for my kids with mashed potato from a roe deer that i shot recently and we've come to the end we're on to the diced part of it now so it's now in the stews oh, but, but it's you know it's it's um it's about even sort of trying to make them understand that you know you need to look at a product and understand what life it's had and and why it's so cheap you know there's always a reason why cheap meat 
maybe isn't as good as something that you find in a butcher's shop because mm -hmm. in a butcher's shop they're sourcing it straight from the farm they know the farmer you know they're hanging it in a chiller they're they, they're respecting the products it's not gone to this huge kind of you know processing factory to get minced up and put into little plastic packets and you know i think i think that it's it's a tricky situation because everybody's got a price point and everybody's got to mm -hmm. you know got to eat but i think that you know we we focus a lot on plant-based food these days and i think i think sometimes it's too it's too cut and dry you know food is food some days i'll eat meat some days i won't eat meat some days i'll have animal products sometimes i won't have dairy products you know sometimes all i want is a really amazing bit of pasta with some butter and capers someday i want a steak you know it's i think that i think people need to sort of um stop putting labels on things and just be really sort of conscientious and, and understand where the food comes from so they can make better choices on what they're eating do you think that's changing now in the uk i think i think going back sort of five years everybody wanted to have a badge you know I'm a vegetarian, I'm dairy free, I'm a vegan, you know, I'm a pescatarian. And, and, and if it's for health reasons, then 100%. I mean, you know, we've got a lot of um, friends and family that are allergic to shellfish and stuff, and you have to take those sort of things really seriously. But I think when it comes to personal choice, I think that um, there's a lot of stuff in the media which, which promotes maybe a certain way of eating that people don't fully understand. And I think that there's good practices in food and bad practices in food all around the world and and um you know most recently i i've i've actually met quite a few um younger people who um you know they were vegan and i said to them you know do you think you'd ever eat meat again and they say oh well i actually do as long as i know where the meat's from or if it's game and i said so you're not vegan and they're like well i well, am but no it's a flexitarian it's a new term i've heard of called a flexitarian exactly, or something exactly and i was so. like who thought yeah, that out exactly or or as I would say, just someone who eats food, who enjoys <laughs> food, who wants to know where it's come from. And I think that's, that's you know, I think we're sort of, what, what we're coming to is we're going back to the original thing where, you know, talking about grandparents, you know, my, my nan, I mean, you know, post-war, I mean, you know, they, they went through the whole food rations. They couldn't eat meat every day. Meat wasn't, meat was a real special occasion thing. You know, we, yeah. you know, you'd have a salad for lunch. You know, you might have, you know some pasta for dinner or you'd have a risotto for lunch and you'd have some polenta you know it it was you know it was a way of getting sustenance and really good tasty food out of something that you didn't have a lot of money to buy and 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 you know i think nowadays because we're extremely lucky you know a lot of people think they haven't had a meal unless they've had meat in it you know if they're carnivores yeah. and and i just think you know we we kind of need to reevaluate the way that we're sort of looking at food and i don't think it's right to put these sort of badges on it but you know, I, I, I going back to your question, I think it's definitely changing. I think that people are a lot more educated now in, in mm -hmm. understanding food and being able to rate, make the right choices. And I think people are actually doing more research. And, and we're finding that um, when our guests do come in and they see our menu, you know, they love that story of the product. You know, mm -hmm. we, we tell people that story. They know where their, their cow's been raised. They know, you know, where the fish has been caught. I mean, but you know our fisherman i mean he sends us videos of, of him actually pulling his little cash his own tiny little boat bit of banging drum and bass you know going <laughs> on in the background and it's, it's oh brilliant. my goodness you know, that's but, incredible but well, that's the that's relationship really, you see yeah but that's really good that you have that relationship as well with your suppliers as yeah. well because you know you kind of practice what you're preaching sort of thing in terms yeah. of 
who you source from. But exactly. it's, curious to, it's, it's curious to say that because, you know, I am from the UK, but I have been living away for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I can actually say I'm from I'm from Leicester because, you know, Leicester City football made it <laughs> on on whatever it was, like I don't right, know, right. that football stuff, which I don't yeah. really know much about. <laughs> but the pause on the map, <laughs> whatever yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, so, like, um, it was really funny because, like, here, if you want to eat out, you will only get pork because right. pork is what we get in the south of Spain. But if you want yeah. beef, everyone knows you go to the north. But people will not order beef because they know it's travelled a long way. It's not going to be as tasty as as, as if you were having it on the north coast. Yeah. And people are so mindful and conscious, but they don't label it. That's what I've noticed. They don't label it because people here are so regional in what they eat that they do buy from their local area or within their province and I think yeah. that's really good because children are also following in the footsteps of their parents and their grandparents yeah you know and, 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 and I agree and I think I think the, the biggest issue we have here is the element of convenience you know and, and I found this as well when I was in America you know it, it's convenient to drive to a to a supermarket to buy everything there you've got it there for the week and you don't have yeah. to worry whereas you know I think I think in 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 places you know like markets or on yeah. in, in europe european countries and stuff it's a way of life isn't it you go to the market you buy the product it's from a local uh, yeah. um, producer and, and and that's the way that you eat so i think that you know it, it's a tricky thing and it, it is i don't want to go into the death of the high street but yeah. you know it's something that, that i'm very passionate about um but yeah i mean going back to producers i mean we actually went to see a farmer called tom hordle yesterday in the new forest and he's the only farmer where his cows actually forage on the new forest oh, wild okay. all year round. And then and then he brings them in, he finishes them, and that's where we buy our beef from. And um and actually this is the first year we've sent our pigs out to panage. So we have meat pigs here at the pig and we have commoners' rights because it's an old mm-hmm. house. So um every year uh people with commoners' rights send their pigs out to eat all the acorns. Now, there's oh, two reasons nice. for that. One is because, well, you know, Iberico pork. Yeah. So it's a bit like that. It's not quite yeah. as refined as that, but it's basically pigs that have eaten acorns and they have that flavour. So it's delicious pork. Mm. But also in the New Forest, we have New Forest ponies. Now, New Forest ponies, they're wild. They go all over. Well, they're not wild. They're owned by people, but they're free to roam. Okay. okay. And, and they're the most beautiful things, but they're stupid because they eat, <laughs> they eat the acorns and they poison themselves and they die so the pigs were let out a month before the horses to hoover up all the acorns so that when the horses went out there was less fatalities of the horses fast oh. forward 100 years now they get knocked over by cars but that is also something which is getting sort of sorted out so it is it is getting a lot better but the the plus side is that we get all this lovely pork which has got a fantastic flavor and we do things like turn it into charcuterie and we obviously serve it on the menu and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, it's, it's when you find out regional things like that that's happening in the UK, you just think, well, actually, you know, it's not a million miles away from what they're doing in Europe, but we're not selling it to a supermarket. So people yeah. have to have a little bit of kind of, what's the word, initiative to go out there and find it or go online and Google, you know, where they can buy it. And, and it is becoming more, you know, we're still... We're starting to get emails now every year saying when will Panish Port be on your oh, on wow. your menu. So you know we, we did a TV show actually with Fred um, Sirix and, uh, and and Chris Bavin on BBC uh, a couple of years ago on it. So it's also that has sort of educated people as well on it. So um, 
So, so it's definitely coming into its own. We just need more pig farmers now to put more pigs out on the forest because this year has been a bumper crop and we've actually had some uh, deaths of horses already. Uh, from oh It's mad. Oh God. So yeah. you mentioned before we are what we eat. Yeah. And that was my, that's actually the start of my first, ne my next question. Okay. Uh, what we eat and how we eat it is central yeah. to our sense of identity and belonging. Yeah. Food and its traditions affirm who we are and who we are not. However, curiosity, travel, migration have throughout the centuries mm. have ensured that traditions continuously change. Yeah. Our local cuisines and national identities are constantly evolving through the discovery and integration of new ingredients and flavours. Mm -hmm. What would you say is your definition of British food? Well, now? Or back yeah, then? now. I would say well, now. I, 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 now. I think I, I think that British food is one of the most exciting kind of um, styles, uh, you know, out there. I mean, I, I actually I was out with friends the other week and they said to me, what's your top five cuisines? Ooh. And you're like, it's hard to choose. Yeah. I mean, I mean, one of them said, oh, Japanese, Spanish and, you know, French. And, and then I said, well, what about British? And, and, and then everybody was like, yeah, like, of course like you know i mean how many times do you go for fish and chips you know at least yeah you know, i'd have fish and chips like once a month you know how, how many times do you sort of like you know uh, have have something which you you class as 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 a as a really traditional like a pork pie or you know say say you know a game pie or say bangers and mash or say you know kidneys on i mean maybe not kidneys on toast i love kidneys coming, I, mean, well, I'm I just watching it. it go out now actually <laughs> on the past i'm sat next to i love i love awful <laughs> Yeah, but so like nice. grazed beef, for example, liver and onions, all those dishes which, you know, you just named that that I had as a kid, you know, with my nan. And, and I love that sort of style, but you don't see so much anymore. And I think they are kind of like dishes of, um, what's the word, nostalgia yeah. to a certain extent. You know, it's those kind of dishes. I mean, I'm, I'm in my sort of early 40s. And for me, um, you know, those dishes were kind of staple, you know, liver and, and bangers and mash and you know, all of those sort of dishes, which now probably I wonder how many people are actually cooking those at home. But if you went out to a pub or a restaurant or, or a hotel and you saw those on the menu, you'd order them because you haven't seen them. You know, so so I think I think the style of British food has gone from us being this kind of joke back in the 70s. You know, the French always used to make that joke about prawn cocktails and whatever yeah, yeah. you know which actually that, i still yeah. i still love a prawn i like pro sandwich oh, i'm not you know yeah, I, I, i'm a sucker for every rose sauce to be honest but you know it's it's um it's one of those you know i think we've gone from that to kind of like fast forward to sort of like the 80s obviously mark ed pierre white you know those kind of like slightly rock star um french sort of influenced british dishes that that really kind of like blew loads of places out the water started to get recognition and really sort of started to put britain on the map you know people like the rue brothers people like you know brian turner you know all those sort of like guys of that era then fast forward to their proteges people like you know tim hughes at le caprice and jay sheikis and elliot ketley you know and all those sort of mark hicks you know these guys that started coming out of that era that really started honing in on the sort of modern british kind of like fusion style uh, you know, Jeff and Chris Galvin, I put in the, that sort of uh, uh, era. And then, you know, the other side of that, which I'd probably put myself in, you know, I'm a product of, of you know, uh, uh, Tim Hughes, of Caprice, of Sheikis, and Elliot, who were obviously from Marco's era. And 
it's sort of you can see the sort of natural progression. I think that you know we've got to a stage now where British food is super exciting. I mean, we've mm. got such a great mix of Michelin stars and non-Michelin stars, to sustainable places to to just really fun, crazy, whack. You know, like Heston mm. and, and you know Simon Rogan and all these guys and Claire Smith and people that are taking food to another level that you know back in the day only places like El Bully were doing or, or you know uh you know the guys out in, in in Scandinavia and I think I think we've we've really hit this kind of melting pot of, of exciting food and it all stems from the classics you know a lot of a lot of the stuff that we're doing now still you can relate back to those classic kind of dishes from you know uh Scoffier time I mean people are still using classic sauces but we found really interesting, innovative ways to to make food, and and on the backbone of that is also working with the producers and and focusing on how we actually make it a sustainable product. And it's 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 really quite incredible the way the journey that food's gone over the past like 25, 30 years. But it's really curious to say that because I think for me, I love my pies, my stews. My mum was from Lancashire, so I was raised up on yeah. like hot pots and yeah. or Yorkshire puddings or like some of the different. But like all that sort of hot steamy food I've got a real bad weakness for yeah and, but when I explain this to people over here they're like no all they've got all they have in their head is uh, fish and chips fish and chips and I'm like you haven't been to the lakes exactly. or to the peaks or to the southwest yeah. or whatever or even Scotland where you can have real food and they're like and it, they're so dismissive of it because mm. of this idea they have that we eat rubbish food yeah but yeah. when you explain that we eat seasonal or this game or whatever they're not interested it just it's such a shame because I think food from the UK is so good, but we also have twists on it because of our history. And I think it's such a shame that no one really wants to know it or understand it or that the, the Robert. I, I, I know. It's, I, I also think it's because people are super proud of their own regions. And I think that, uh, yeah. I think, I think that, I think that especially like in, I mean, I'm going to say something now. It's going to be, quite, I mean, I, I went to France recently and I had some of the worst food I've ever had. And oh. and um, and then I went back, actually, and I had some of the best food that I've ever had. And I think it's one of those things where, you know, people will be super proud of, of where they are. I mean, the Spanish and all those guys are mega proud of their areas. And as you said, you know, it's all about that local thing. But I think when people come to England, as we know, there's some places where you're going to have an amazing meal. Yeah. And there's some places where they're going to stick it in a microwave. And 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 I think that because we sort of you know like i said it's only been since like the late 70s that we've started having this real kind of like you know trajectory up on on our sort of style of cuisine and our sort of level of quality i think that people that come over maybe for a week or five days as a little holiday i don't think they probably go to the you know that there's they, they may probably make poor choices of where they've eaten which yeah. doesn't put us in the right light and and i think that you know it's 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 a tricky one and and i think it's one of those wherever you go you can have good restaurants you can have bad restaurants yeah and and i think that i think that when i go abroad i look and see where i'm going to eat i really do because because mm. i'm a chef you know I, I i do a bit of research i really mm. want to make sure that i maximize my trip and maximize my uh, uh experience while i'm out there but you know if you're joe blogs food isn't really your passion you know maybe you're in something else you know you wouldn't do that so you say you're walking down the street and you pop into i don't know 
a Weathers or some, you know, or, or whatever it is, and, yeah. and you order a dish and it's come straight out the microwave with a pile of chips. I mean, you're going to go home thinking exactly the same thing as what you heard from the 70s. And yeah, and I, I think that's that's the sort of thing. And it's uh, it is difficult, but I think the good thing is that there's far more good places now to choose from. I mean, most towns, most uh, uh sit, I mean, every city has now really good restaurants with really good kind of focus on food and i think yeah that's something to really be proud of and, and it will take time for people to change their mind but you know it will get there fast I forward hope another so. 10 years i hope I so because i love english food yeah definitely because like when i told people like have you ever tried a butter pie and they're like it's a pie with butter i like, know it's potatoes <laughs> and thin layers yeah. and crispy yeah. pastry and they look at me like <laughs> yeah. that's not food and I'm like it is it's so nice but a lot of people don't make it anymore which is such a shame I should yeah. learn to make it but yeah it's better you when should, you buy you it you should be promoting British food over there like, doing but the fine, they'll look at me saying go home yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. honestly but it's a shame I do love stuff like that um yeah. so what inspires you to continue raising interest in where food comes from and how it tastes um, I think it goes back to that whole kind of thing with my grandparents. You know, my 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 parents were avid cooks. I mean, my dad's he's actually got a chef qualification. You know, so when I decided I want to be a chef, he went to college and did it just to sort of see, you know, what I was going through. My mum and my stepdad. I mean, all of my family they're big kind of like cooks. You know, they they love their food, and I think that you know, for me, spending a lot of time in London, obviously working with people like Mark Hicks, you know, very focused on produce actually even being in america i mean america for me was a massive eye-opener because it was it was really weird like that some of the produce was some of the best i've ever had and some of it was the worst i've ever had and and so i think when you go through that experience you end up missing you know the, the stuff that you had when you were home so when i came back from the states the first thing i did was went to my local butcher i went to you know my local deli i went to all those guys that used to i used to buy the best produce from and and really started to to look into the amount of amazing produce that was being um uh produced in the area so my boss from south new york he he took over limewoods a guy called robin hudson and the pig so we came together to do to do the first pig and um and yeah it was kind of just just a way to um yeah it, it was it was it was almost a way of reminiscing for me you know coming back to my old area trying the food i used to eat and then saying well this is amazing other people need to understand it. Other people need to try this. How do we do this in a way that is actually, um, you know, how can we how can we make it into a philosophy? And, and we did that. The original menu actually at the Pig was a fifteen mile menu, where we said that our, our food was sourced from within, within fifteen miles. But we found that it limited our pro, our our um, you know our our radius so much. And and actually, if we moved it out to twenty five, we we pretty much tripled the producers. So that's what we did. It's really good. Like it's, yeah. it's funny you say that. Like when I went back home last week, I I visited the area where I was born, um, yeah. and they still had the local butchers there. Yeah, yeah. I haven't been back to Loughborough in I mean, forever, yeah. and they had the best sausages. And I remember because yeah. um, I never got my sausages from the supermarket because I just didn't like it. So I'd go yeah. to the butchers and have all the herbs and make it that day. Yeah, oh, yeah. it was amazing. Yeah. And I remember at Christmas, the queue would always be from the outside. Yeah. People would queue for, for ages and it's yeah, still yeah, yeah. there. No, 100%. I mean, yeah, we we still, I mean, Mr. Bartlett, who's the guy that, he's the high street butcher that supplies us here at the Pig. 
I mean, this year he's he's got I don't know how many orders for turkeys. I mean, there's you've probably heard about this bird flu thing that's happening over yeah. here. It's an absolute disaster. Um, so I don't know if there will be any turkeys at the moment, but um, yeah, it's, uh, it's it's crazy. But that that just shows you know how many people still love you know the butcher and and i think for me it, it's a tricky one because i think as as a sort of people we've become very insular you know a lot of people spend a lot of time on their phones people don't really like chatting to people face to face you know they'd rather do it over email there's so many easy voice notes that you can do now i mean it's very easy to not actually have to talk face to face to somebody yeah and i think the supermarket is one of those things you can go in there with your headphones on you don't need to chat to anybody all the way to the back to your car done whereas when you go to go to a butcher shop you can ask questions and i'm i'm very yeah. fond of saying what about this how do you cook it what would you do you know and get information i'm a, I'm a real like information sharer i love to talk to yeah. people about their experiences and that's the one thing which a butcher will give you he'll be able to tell you yeah. the best way to cook this piece of meat the best thing to put with it and you'll leave that shop probably going in there with one idea and coming out with an exciting idea that's changed yeah. our dinner plans you know and i think that's 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 what the the, the value of a butcher shop is you know yeah. and also know where the animal's from and you know how long it's been hung and you know how much it weighs and you probably only bought the amount that you need instead of buying more that you probably don't need because it's in a massive packet you know but it's funny you say that because you do actually learn when you go there and i'm learning because there's so many different yeah. cuts of pork yeah that they do here so here for like like you see it on the outside, you have like you know the Iberian pork. Yeah, yeah. And so you have the very good, like you have it raw inside. It's just seared on the outside. Oh my god, it, yeah. it melts in your and mouth. It's dark, and isn't it? Yeah, it's, like it's so tasty. Yeah, I yeah. love pork, and yeah, yeah. and when you have like the the serrano or the jamón, yeah. oh my goodness, it's like Perfect. butter on your mouth, and it's amazing. And so yeah. you go to the bodega to get your jamón or your yeah, your yeah. serrano and your wine, and. Yeah you always learn what to get in season for example so one time when i first moved here like oh do you have lamb because we have it a lot more frequently in the uk no no yeah. no no. we only have a for like three months at the beginning of the year and that's when we're going to sell it and i'm like oh wow like uh, yeah. but you learn and it's I, yeah. I think it's nice that we have the ability to learn from them because yeah. they know this the season and the produce better than what we do and, exactly exactly yeah 100 you know, percent. i can't agree more yeah and and yeah so going you know, so, so you are an ambassador for Maple from Canada, yeah, and you're an ambassador for other organisations as well. What's yeah. led you when when becoming an ambassador? What leads you to becoming that? You know, are there decisions involved? Do you just become an ambassador, or do you actually support the organisation 100? percent So, so I yeah, so ambassador for Maple. I also work with Ely, who are um, a uh, a shotgun cartridge manufacturer. They're pushing forward with stainless steel shot which means that we can actually get um, uh, game uh, birds into places like supermarkets because we can take the, the shot out because obviously yeah. it's magnetic. So I'm pushing more towards the sustainability and the use of games. So I've actually just been nominated for an Eat Game Award. Um, well done. Actually, that's last year's one. I'm sorry, I also <laughs> one. But, um, so, so, I've been so so that's that's my passion for that. So I promote the, the usage and the ease of game. With Maple, I work a lot alongside with the Royal Academy. So I'm a fellow of the Royal Academy of Culinary mm. Arts. And we do a lot of work with schools, with young people. We do the Annual Awards of Excellence where we get um, uh, people in their early 20s cooking for some of the best chefs in the country to win awards. And, and Maple Syrup 
from Canada. They basically uh, do a lot of funding for that. They put on trips so kids can go to Canada and learn all about these this amazing products. And for me, when when I was discussing about you know whether or not I became uh, an ambassador for them, the main reason was was because of their sustainability story and the fact that we know how bad refined sugar is for you. So mm -hmm. so you know from my point of view, they they're so. Um, supportive of the next generation of British chefs and the way that they kind of um, work with these guys. But it's actually just an amazing product. And I fell in love with it when I was in America. I mean, the Americans, they love maple syrup on everything. But yeah. there's different levels. Maple syrup is not maple syrup. You know, there's different levels. There's And and, and sort of, you know, the, the Quebec Canadian stuff is like Rolls Royce. I mean, it, it's one of those things where, you know, they only tap three points on the tree it's all gravity fed so the sap comes mm. out gravity fed all of the, the way that they cook it down they use biofuels i mean it's so like incredibly sustainable and the fact is that those trees and this is the way i think about it, those trees were planted by those people's great 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 grandparents so that their great 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 grandchildren could benefit from this incredible liquid gold that comes from that comes from the ground so you know, when I went out there um, to, to see these uh, sugar shacks and to meet these people, I was absolutely blown away. And and so, you know, I, I obviously support them. I use a lot of uh, the product itself. It's a great way to showcase things from our garden, you know, sweeten our granolas without using mm -hmm. refined sugar. And and it's it's just a great, or, you know, organically grown product. I mean, it's it's fantastic. So that's why I support those. But you know, it, it, apart from that, I mean, I'm a, I'm obviously a fellow of the Royal Academy, so I promote a lot of um, uh, sustainability aspects through going into schools and teaching kids about healthy eating, why you should understand what it is you're eating, and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's um, I I it's weird, like you know, talking about the ambassadors. I don't really get into them just because mm. you know I feel about the products. It's more like the whole story. I think that is going back to what we're saying you are what you eat and it's important to understand you know the reasons why people are doing these things to make sure you get a great product you made it sound really poetic when you're talking about the gravity fed like maple yeah it's it's really nice and when i do go to canada i always get the maple i want because it's yeah. the whole thing of like you can get so many yeah. so many of them like honey are yeah. just produced badly and well you, you know that there's more honey on the planet than we can physically produce oh, God. so so somewhere oh, along, i mean God. i'm not going to say it because i know where it's but you know they, they somewhere along the line someone is pumping loads of sugar syrup into the honey production yeah. and i don't know if you ever watched that series on netflix called rotten no, um, it, it was about honey production avocado production i mean it went on if you haven't seen it see if you can find it but watch the one on honey it's scary it's like that's the thing like there's so much cheap honey especially here in spain a lot of people have honey but yeah. i only buy one type of honey and i buy yeah. it from the north and it's heather yeah. honey it's super dark yeah it's locally produced only produced a little like a small amount it's yeah. so expensive but yeah. oh it's just it's so delicious it's but it's this yeah you know, i mean you summed up you know it's about taste it's about yeah. flavor but the other thing people don't understand is that if you go into and you know, I'm not, I don't want to keep on saying if you're going to but yeah, if you go in and buy like a cheap jar of honey and it says on the back, you know, made in China or produced in China or whatever, yeah. you know, the, what, what are the benefits of eating honey? The benefits of honey is it helps with hay fever. It has, you know, antibiotics in there, has all these amazing bits of pollen, which are beneficial yeah. for you, you know, from the flora. But 
if you're buying something that's been imported, then it's been pasteurized and it has to be pasteurized to get into the country. So why are you buying honey that's been pasteurized? It has no beneficial um, elements in it left because they've all been pasteurized or passed out. So all you're doing is you're buying sugar, you know, honey feeding you. sugar <laughs> that you put no, on your toast. You know, I mean, you know, and this goes back to the whole local producer thing. You know, you could probably go to your local, um, you know, farmer's market or even like somewhere like your, uh, what's it called? Um, you know, nursery, plant plant nursery. They have honey there and, and buy a local honey that hasn't been pasteurized. that will be beneficial to your body and actually yeah. give you something back. I mean, it probably wouldn't even cost that much more, to be honest. And definitely you know? for the sake, like, you know, you'll find that seasonal stuff and local stuff is cheaper than buying imported stuff because of all the... Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, everything it has to go through, and it's, yeah. it makes sense. It'll, people don't realize that if you buy what's in that moment in that season, you'll benefit your pocket more 100%. than buying the supermarket. But Absolutely. I don't know where people get lost. It's really, it's really interesting. You know, you know what? It probably goes back to what I was saying about my Chinese, <laughs> right? Being set in your ways, right? If you're, <laughs> if, if you've got, if you've got, like, you know, I, I mean, I know some people. They've got their sort of uh, their list of dishes that they can cook, and that's it. You know, yeah. so Monday they have that, Tuesday they have that, Wednesday they have that. And I suppose there is also an element of time and families are busy yeah. and all that sort of stuff. But if you have your top five dishes that you always cook and you cook them throughout the season, they're going to be out of season at least twice throughout a year. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's also about being experimental, I suppose, and, and trying to sort of, you know, push the boundaries and have a bit of fun with food. I think that's a, that's Definitely. the biggest thing, isn't it? But it's really it's curious to say that as well. Like when I got married a couple of years back, I got married here in Spain, yeah. and I was really worried because a lot of my family love Indian food. Right. But I live in Granada, and there's one Indian restaurant. Right. I did not put it on the list. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> "You're coming to Spain, have local food. You'll have yeah, better yeah. food." But we had those people that had intolerances like celiac and all right, that right. stuff. Yeah. So I did a list, and I went, "If you want breakfast, you go to these places yeah. uh, where, like, you know, the toast is made in the cave. But, you know, the bread's fermented in the cave, and the jam is yeah, made yeah. from green plum. Yeah. And the butter tastes like it's just been milk. It's like so yeah, you yeah. know, I've looking for a long time, and I know all the yeah. little regional places." I did the whole list of breakfast, you know, coffee shops, whatever it was. And I was really worried because a lot of my family love Indian food. Right. And then I was like, it's going to be a week without Indian food. <laughs> and I was really like, oh, what are they going to do? So here in Spain, a lot of places, there's a place called, there's a chain of restaurants that called Menendero. So it's like for the working man. Okay. And it's like a three-course menu. You have your starter, your, your main and your dessert. Yeah. But it's it's local home cooked food as opposed to restaurant food. Right. And um there was a lentil stew with some peppers and you know, it was just really homely. Yeah, yeah. And I thought lentils, I went, okay, so I said, Uncle, order this. It will remind you of like a dal curry. Mm. <laughs> That's just kind of comparative. He loved it. He was like, oh, really? you share it? like I was like, Oh my god, because I was like are you going to enjoy it? Are you not going to enjoy it? And he loved it because it was like, I, and they weren't bad to have yeah. it again because they were yeah. like, you want the lentils because it was just different. It was sweeter. And it's like, you could taste it. My uncle's a proper foodie and he, he's, yeah, yeah. he's one of my favourite cooks. And he was in awe. He was like, this is amazing. Mm. And he tried, it's a typical dish from Malaga and it's called gazpachuelo and it's, it's a mayonnaise stew. Okay. It's, it's, it's really weird. It's got potatoes, yeah. uh, mussels, clams, uh, seafood and, and yeah. you know, it's it was um i was surprised to enjoy it i'll say that but, but I, th I think <laughs> i think i think you've just made that point i mean yeah you know, once, once people are sort of pushed out of their comfort zone and yeah they 
they try something that's different that they probably think, oh, I'm not going to like it, you know, but then when they like it, they're like surprise themselves. I think, I think that's, you know, that, that for me is what I kind of want to achieve when I'm doing my ambassador bits or talking to kids about food. I want people to feel uncomfortable and then feel yeah. really comfortable once they've tried it. And I think that's, that, that's, that for me, I think is where I get a lot of sort of job satisfaction you know i love mm-hmm. i love seeing people trying stuff that you think oh i don't know if they're gonna like it when and then they come back and say it's the best thing i've ever had i want it every day you know it's yeah it, no, it's definitely. so rewarding isn't it it's amazing yeah. i think so so um i wanted to ask like so when you think about nostalgia you think of seasonal recipes yeah. what what recipe do you enjoy cooking within the season your favorite yeah. season okay and and does it evoke memories yeah, so my favorite. Actually, I've got quite a few, but oh, I, well, I, I, I'd say I'd say probably one of my favorite, and I and I do this every year. Is um, I go out with my kids and we go foraging, and we go and we pick uh, porcini, you know, sets yeah, or yeah. penny bun or whatever you want to call it, belitas essentially, and and we'll go out, we'll pick a few, just enough for us. We'll wash them, we'll we'll cut them into thick chunks. And I'll sear them in, in in oil and then finish them with a big knob of butter, a little bit of garlic and salt and pepper. And we put that on top of hot buttered toast and uh, and we eat them straight away. Now, a mushroom that has literally just been picked or a porcini that's just been picked has like a crunch to it. It's crunchy. It's like it's it's fresh and, and it's not like soggy and, and, and it's it's a completely different flavour profile and texture to anything that you'll ever try off of a shelf right so so we do this and when i was a kid my my dad used to take us out foraging so we go out and we look for wild mushrooms and we come home and this this was a dish that we used to have when we were kids so that's one of the things which which i love and, and we do it every year and it's, it's a bit of you know it's become a bit of a tradition and it's just super simple really easy but but you know you only have it one time a year you yeah. know if once the mushrooms are gone they're gone you can buy seps from all around the world. I mean, you can get them from Italy, Spain, mm-hmm. France. I mean, I think you can even get them from Australia or anywhere now. I mean, you're buying truffles from Australia. So I think that, you know, but but they're not the same as the ones that are literally just picked, cut yeah. and cooked. Like that 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 time frame is probably a matter of hours, maybe 24 hours. Wow. And then the mushroom changes and, and you don't get that same kind of texture. So it's, it's quite an interesting one for me. And it's it brings back a lot of memories of my childhood. Oh, that's so nice. Well, that that I do like. Like, um, so you talk about that. That's like something that's local to the UK. Yeah. Do you think there are food programs now that connect us to what the UK has to offer in terms of food and the, the yeah. process around it? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I think the the probably the most famous one was River River Cottage. I mean, River yeah. Cottage. I think inspired a hell of a lot of people. I mean, I, I religiously watched it when I was younger. And I think, you know, I mean, I know Gilmella and, and Hugh Fanny Whitstall comes to the pig on the beach. And so, you know, it's I, th- I think they were probably the leading light on it. I mean, now I say most British food programmes kind of do focus now on uh, British produce and sustainability. And I think it's fantastic that that we're actually in that space, because back in the day, it was always about, you know, French or you know italian food and and um so yeah i think programs yeah i mean master chef you know focus quite a lot on british stuff although maybe not on the producer maybe more on the style but yeah i think places like you know river cottage and um who else i'm trying to think i mean britain's so we did um what was it uh uh I the name of the program 
uh, anyway we'll edit that out but anyway <laughs> it, it was a bbc program if you google it what was it called um oh, i can't remember the name of it it was bbc it was like best best places to eat or something like okay. that in britain and it was with um fred syrix and uh, chris bavin but you know that obviously promoted regional really cool uh, regional uh, uh, produce and producers and we did the thing on Panish pork on it so it's quite cool so it made people aware of yeah. Um, yeah google it but I, I think i think that people are proud of, of british food now and i think it's really sort of becoming um something that people want to see on telly i mean back in the day it was all about keith floyd do you remember and I, go love all around. I love I, keith floyd i've got but, all of his i've got most of his cookbooks I, but did he ever do i don't know if he ever did a regional british one i think I it was always france i think it was like like the ones i've got is like thailand india yeah, yeah. um i think there's a french one because yeah. tim i was on tim madden's podcast okay. and um he was like name a book and i met keith floyd <laughs> because yeah, yeah. because he was one of the first cookbooks I ever bought as a child because yeah. it yeah, was yeah. amazing. I think he had that yeah. personality that just won you over. And also, right. I love wine, so why not? <laughs> like, you, do you know what his last meal was? No, I can't tell me. So he his last meal, he went to Mark Hicks's place in Lyme Regis. Okay. And he had dinner. And sadly, that night, after dinner, like oh, passed God. away. So, so Mark ran the Key Floyd's Last Supper menu. Oh, no. Down there, which, which so it went one or two ways. Some people are a bit like, and other people are like that's really cool. That's amazing. And, and so you could go there and have Keith Floyd's last supper, what he had. I mean, obviously, it wasn't a result of Mark's food. Yeah, obviously. no, but it's the whole thing of the last. Yeah. Hopefully, but, <laughs> and, um, and and so you know, you went there and you had. Which I thought it was really cool. It's like sort of a homage nice. to him. Yeah, and I, I think, think he nice. would have loved that. But yeah, oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, his, his last meal was with Hixie, which was actually oh, quite so. nice. That's so, so nice. Yeah. So, like, do you think you know all these programs and food now has enabled people to explore food identity and food ethnicity, as in, like, within themselves to explore, like, you know, I am English and I'm going to explore something that's, you know, where I'm from, sort of yeah. thing. Like, for, so for example, I'm from, I'm from Leicester. Leicester's famous for its cheddar and yeah. its uh, pork pies. Mm. Yeah. And so, oh yeah. I didn't get to have any this time, but yeah. yeah. Um, but do you think that's and like you know allowed people to go? I want something that is local to where I am and totally. Know, I mean, I, I mean, I've just come back from judging the World Cheese Awards in Newport, so I, I basically spent um, three days out there with. I mean, it's the fifth year that I've done it. And we've got loads of friends doing it, and, and cheese in the UK, I think, is one of the best uh, and fastest growing product products that we have at the moment, and. And every year now, I go and judge the World Cheese Awards. And the way that you do it, you have 60 cheeses on your table. There's a group of three judges. And, and you go through each cheese. And, you know, rewind like five years. Most of the cheeses that we were seeing, I mean, there's thousands of cheeses. You know, it's like thousands and thousands of cheeses in this big, big room with, with like hundreds of judges. And, and most of the time, on the, you know, you can recognise Parmesan. You can recognise mm -hmm. cheddars. You obviously recognise Camembert. But now I'm getting to the point where I recognise the British cheeses. Because mm -hmm. we're producing, each region's producing these incredibly, really cleverly made, beautiful uh, renditions of classic cheeses, you can now identify the British cheeses on your table because you see them day in, day out, you taste them, you you know the flavour, mm -hmm. you know the texture, you understand the, the profile. And, and for me, it's really heartwarming because uh, this year I was on with a Swiss lady and a French lady and myself and and 
the cheeses which I recognise as being British cheeses, these two judges were blown away by it. They were like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Oh, it must be French. Oh, it must be Swiss. No. Wow. I know, wow. Exactly, where, I know exactly where these are from. They're British. I'm not going to say who it is <laughs> because, obviously, you know, but, but you know, it, it was it was really kind of, it, it makes you very proud, I think, and it just shows how, you know, our, our producers and the way that we now kind of can produce products is is evolving. And And to mm -hmm. be honest with you, you know, you look at places like France, like you can only produce Roquefort in Roquefort. Yeah. You can only produce Champagne in Champagne. You can only produce, you know, they've got all these DOPs, which is great because it keeps, yeah. but the fact of the matter is we don't have any of that. So we can make the best sparkling wine from the best area. We call it whatever we want. We yeah. can produce the best Camembert and the best from, from any county in this country and call it whatever we want, you know. And and we've sort of become this nation of, of uh uh, producers that can make really amazing quality products and we're not restricted mm -hmm. by any form of kind of um protected you know, origin yeah, yeah yeah exactly and and it's amazing really it's actually that that's like that. what's that's that's what's kind of allowing us to to actually um you know produce these amazing products because we're not restricted and said no you can't do that yes we can yeah. we can do anything we want and it's it's actually uh it's really working in our favor that's amazing. Well, that should take me to my last two questions now. Okay. So one of them is a bit of history, nostalgia okay. kind of. Well, okay. So the UK has been loving, has been in love with fish since the mid 1800s. Yeah. And so many portions of fish and chips were eaten during World War II. A fun fact I never knew about, but it was true. And fish has been central to the Scottish diet and economy for centuries. Yep. And you know, Scotland's famous for its smoked haddock. Wales coast provides not only fish but also seaweed. Yep. Uh, to make that is it lava bread i think yeah yeah yep, from lava so, bread, yep. and so how do you source your fish and seafood and what is yep. your tradition what is your favorite traditional english fish fish recipe right okay so so we'll start off with um where do we source our fish so each yep. hotel is responsible for its own fish um uh sourcing so okay. down so so let's take a couple of the restaurants so for example down in cornwall we have a lobster shack so we use the johnny mert brothers so we only use cornish lobsters so cornish lobsters and and we we have a a, a charity down there called the lobster hatchery the lobster hatchery take pregnant lobsters they take oh. all the eggs off they then hatch the lobsters in the hatchery and then when they get to an inch long they would re return it back to the estuary we donate one pound 75 for every lobster that we sell to the lobster hatchery now we'll sell 300 lobsters a day wow. so they make a good amount of money and it's a great charity and it's a way for us to give back to the lobster community um i've always said about bert uh ping mm -hmm. on the beach so he's an independent fisherman he basically goes out he mainly gets things like place um you know all the local sort of south coast fish you might get some some mackerel and, and all those mm -hmm. sort of bits during the summer but he's basically very localized on that for the bigger stuff we tend to go to brixham so okay. we worked with the guys down in Devon. They obviously uh, supplied places like the Pig at Coombe down to Honiton. And then on the East Coast, we have another set of fishermen that do that. Um, uh, with the smoked fish, we smoke our own smoked salmon. So so we, we do smoked trout and smoked salmon at the Pig. Uh, we, we team up with local sawmills. So we go and we swap our smoked salmon for their sawdust. We only use oak. So we smoke our, our, um, our salmon and oak. It's my recipe. So we, we cure it first, we then dry it and then smoke it. So every pig has James Golding smoked salmon on the menu. And um, our kippers, so as a kid, we used to get a Whitby on holiday. <laughs> my, my, yeah, my stepmother's uncle had a house up there. So 
there was one thing I remember when I was walking down the hill from Whitby and smelling the, the kipper shack at the bottom of the hill. And so to this day, actually yesterday, I get three kippers a month delivered from Whitby. No way. Yeah, yeah, to the post. And I have them like throughout the month. So so I have Whitby oh, kippers for breakfast three times a month. Um, yeah, I, I that's, that's love. Oh, I love that, yeah. That's and then uh, what else on the fish? What else did you ask? And oh, and my favorite fish recipe. Yeah, that's right. So I have two. So one is my favorite fish recipe that I love with my to eat with my family. And we used to have this thing in my family where every Friday, um, Good Friday, we would get together as a family and have fish and chips. Mm. Now, some of my family are very healthy. It'd be the only time of year they'd have fish and chips and my nan had to cook them, right? But everybody would have either cod or haddock and my mm -hmm. nan would just have skate, right? She loved skate. Mm -hmm. So she'd have it battered and then with loads of lemon juice and salt and pepper. Whereas, you know, the rest of us have salt and vinegar and, you know, all the, and she'd hand cut the chips and everything. So for me, I'd always have haddock. So my nan's home-cooked uh, fish and chips is one of them. Obviously, she's dead now. Well, I shouldn't say obviously, but unfortunately, she's yeah. dead now. So um, we don't have that anymore. So I actually love um, uh, Salmonier. Right, Salmonier oh. is my favourite. And not so much Dover sole. I quite like a lemon sole. So okay. you season and flour your whole sole. You then uh, cook it in a non-stick frying pan so you get that lovely colouring on the bottom. You flip it over and you let it cook in the pan. So you put loads of butter in there mm. and you basically let the whole thing cook in butter. You then take it out and with the butter that's left in the pan, you make a bernoisette and you finish it with chopped shallots, capers, lemon juice and lots of chopped parsley. And then you put that over the top of the fish. And, and it's a very classic dish and one that I used to do at the Savoy when I was when I was a kid. And um, yeah, for me, it just brings back memories. I mean, the, the, the fish is always super soft. Really, you get that lovely sort of salty, nutty kind of lemon flavour. Oh, it's just so tasty. tasty. So oh my simple, god, but so I'm tasty. so hungry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's that's my favourite dish. It's really classical. It's one of those classic dishes. Yeah. I will try that. And um, <laughs> and my final question is, um, what does it really mean to eat seasonal for you? Uh, what does it mean to eat seasonal? As in, as in what? As in like eating in the season, like how important yeah. is it for you? Oh, I mean, it's everything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sorry. Yeah, I mean, eating yeah. in the season is probably the most important thing that you should do. One for your body, one for mm -hmm. your mind, and two for the quality of your products. I mean, you know, I, I've I've always said that something that is grown, reared, or produced on your doorstep is always mm -hmm. going to be better than something that's sat on a plane, train, or, or 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 an automobile being driven from thousands of miles away to get to your to get to your door so you know and they go hand in hand i mean game you know mm. you're going to be eating it with lovely buttered kales you're going to be eating it with some artichokes you're going to be eating it with mashed potatoes you're going to be mm. eating it with you know slows you know slow reduction that sort of that 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 fruits um gamey kind of like cabbagey potatoey flavors i mean they just they, they go hand in hand in summer you know fish with lemon with with butter with you know lovely fresh salads with you know all, all those really great summery you know fresh peas in the pod uh broad beans with lamb in springtime you know mm. um, i mean the list goes on it's 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 those classic combinations which have been around for centuries which we all know and love you know mm. spring mince and lamb you know it's it's 
Amazing. It's a match made in heaven. Yeah. And, and there's a reason why those things go together is because there are seasonal products that are around at the same time, you know, samphire and fish. Samphire, you should only use it for one month in my mind because that's mm. only when it's good. But, you know, you go all around the world and you'll be sitting in a restaurant in December and they've got samphire and, and some fish on the menu. You go, well, where's this come from? Because there's no possible way it's from here. And you eat it, it's all woody. And yeah. then you go, and then someone goes, oh, I wonder why the samphire is so woody. Well, because it's probably been grown in Israel and you're now sitting in, you know, somewhere. Germany or somewhere. Yeah. You know, and you wonder why it's woody. Well, because it's, you know, it's not the season to be eating it. And, and so, you know, I, I, I think that within the world of food, there's natural marriages within classic yeah. uh, dishes, which are there for a reason. And there's certain times of year that you should be eating those dishes. I mean, things like fish, you know, we talk about fish, you know, that you shouldn't be eating fish when it's spawning because there's mm. not enough meat on it. You know, there's the row is too big, you know, don't yeah. eat fish when it's spawning, you know, mussels, you know, everybody wants to eat mussels in the summer and you get them and they're tiny in there. And yeah. they go, why are the mussels so small? Yeah, because you shouldn't really eat lots of mussels in the summer. You know, eat them in the spring or eat them in the autumn. That's when, but because, you know, we have this love of shellfish in the summer, you yeah. know, it happens. And it's, it's, it's tricky because I think, you know, people don't necessarily think about the seasons when they eat. But as chefs and as people who cook for people, I think it's important that you kind of think about it yourself and you make sure that you're actually yeah. doing uh, uh, seasonal dishes because that's that's why it's you know that's, that's why they're there. I mean, it's it's, no, it's, uh, it's I mean it's 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 a great it's a great way to eat, and I, I'm a firm believer that, like I said, you are what you eat, and if you can eat it as fresh and as as good as it is in that season, then it's always going to be a winner. Definitely. But I think as well, when you are eating in the seasons, people don't realise there's also health aspects towards yeah, it as well. Absolutely. Like, you know, like raspberries in the summer, because the sun, the vitamin C, it helps to yeah. circle for your body. It's the same with like meat and fish. Yeah. There's a reason why you have it in seasons because of whatever, I don't know, illness is going around or germs. Those, pro those products are there to help fight that. But exactly. if you're having it all year round, it's not a it's not good for your body and b you're not having it at its sweetest like its ripest moment exactly and so, I, think it's so I have three products that i do a taste test on actually four four right so i do my sweet corn test this is with my apprentices so i've got 48 chef apprentices across our hotels right and they're all under the age of 25 and i do taste tests with them right so we do um uh, sweet corn right so i get sweet corn that's that's been pre-packaged in a plastic packet and sweet corn that's fresh from my local okay. producer and you try it side by side one will be the sweetest thing you've ever eaten the one will be the starchiest thing you've ever eaten <laughs> yeah. strawberries strawberries in december so strawberries in the summer i'm sorry i mean it's a no-brainer anybody's got yeah. strawberries on their menu in december shouldn't really be a restaurant in my book and then and then asparagus asparagus from peru which is where most of the asparagus comes from out of the british season compared to wow. a spoon of asparagus from a local asparagus farm in the uk is completely night and day i mean i would say that if you don't like asparagus we then eat the stuff from peru because it's not going to be as strong as the british stuff but <laughs> if you don't mind that and you, you're, you're happy with the flavor over over the uh, sort of issue of that then it's, it's all about that flavor is it it's about that yeah. grassy sweet kind of you know, I, I love it with a bit of hollandaise sauce or some some lemon butter or even just with a really good amount of salt and pepper. I just love it really mm -hmm. basic. Like my mates used to do with duck eggs, which I used to like, but I, I prefer it just really natural. And then the other thing that we did this year, which wasn't on the list, but I've added it on is apples. So ah. this year, 
So I went to the manoir and I was chatting to Raymond Blanc and I took my, my daughter wants to be a chef. So she went and did a day with Benoit, the pastry chef in the kitchen. And, um, and on the way out, I was chatting to, to uh, Raymond Blanc. He said, here's one of my favourite apples. I want you to have it. I said, oh, thank you very much. So I'm driving home and I'm eating this apple. I think, God, this is bloody amazing. It's one of, you know. So I got back to the pig and I, I went down to the garden and I took, I mean, we've probably got about 20 different varieties of apple. And I just took an apple from each tree and came up and we did an apple test or tasting on, on the parsnip uh-huh. at the pig. And I'll tell you what, incredible. Like from honey to mm. citrus to just intense, like sort of um, uh, uh, apple, sort of apple skin flavour, you know, that almost like yeah. solid flavour to like pappy kind of cotton wool. You know, I mean, that was like, forget that. We don't want that one. To, to, to like this beautiful sort of like almost um, vanillary flavour. I mean, it, yeah. honestly, the, the, the flavours and the textures of these different varieties, when you put them side by side, you actually are then able to really appreciate what each apple, one, can be used for, and mm-hmm. two, what, you know, results you will get from using that apple. I mean, one of them, I just said, we need to chop this up and just put it out for people to eat. So, so now what we do mm-hmm. is we have our windfall apples where we just put them out and people just help themselves you know it's, it's just they're perfectly good apples but they've obviously fallen off the tree we've washed them and put them out and um, amazing i mean yeah i mean this year's been really good for fruit we've had a couple of years where it's not as good yeah. but honestly i'm, I'm going to go out in the garden and get an apple no you made me hungry like <laughs> yeah. i'm so hungry with all your like recipes i'm like oh my goodness i'm gonna go and do a video yeah. now the apples <laughs> out of the garden put it on and i want to be like Oh, feed on me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, because I think, like, I actually fell out of love with apples. Yeah. Um, but when I'm from the north, like, apple in Asturias is super famous. Yeah. And I've always loved it, stewed with cinnamon sticks. It was yeah, like yeah. something else. Crumbling. But, oh, well, crumbling custard, always. <laughs> but it, it's nice to, like, enjoy that love of apple again. Because my grandma yeah. used to give me the, the really, um, you know the bright red apples that are so beautiful uh, snow white i forgot the yeah, name of it yeah. now. three oh, times a day yeah, three yeah. times a day and um sadly uh, i don't have to eat it anymore but <laughs> it, it made me fall out of love with apples which is right, a shame right. i love all my pudding yeah. but anyway it's been an absolute pleasure having you today on the podcast thank you Thanks so much for me. Me. and it's been it's been so insightful and I'm like hungry for more <laughs> recipes. <laughs> I've had a lovely so time. No, absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Thank it's you. Been great. Bye. Okay. Take care.